subject of winning in marriage. Everybody say winning in marriage. Now, I didn't say winning in a fight. I didn't say win over and get the best of the other one. I said, how do you win in marriage and have a successful marriage? Now, let's talk about that here today. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to read verses 4 through 8. Very familiar. If you've been in the Bible long at all, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. If you will, just one more time, let's stand for the reading of God's Word to honor His Word. And let's get into this because I'm sure there's something in these eight verses that could possibly, maybe, possibly, who knows, dig a little bit into your life. So let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind and it is not jealous. Love does not brag and it is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomely. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. If there's a recipe for winning in marriage that I could give you, God just gave it to us. How many of you would look at that list and say, yeah, there's probably some things I need God to help me with? How many? Let's see a showing of hands. Okay. Well, lying ain't on here, but if, you're, if your hand ain't raised, we're going to pray for you for lying. Amen? Because we've been around you, and we know you ain't patient. And we know if the Bengals lose, you ain't kind. So I better go on. Amen. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for our time together. Thank you that God all hail King Jesus. We worship you. God, I thank you for what you're about to teach us, oh God. Lord, help us. Help us not just in marriage, but in any relationship. Give us tools. Give us principles that we can apply. And God, will give you the glory and honor and the praise. And I ask you to anoint me to speak forth your word today, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. God, speak to us. Put the, put the seed, plant it down in the soil, deep soil of our hearts and let it grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have, and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word, even this list, and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body. To receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. High five a couple of people around you and say let's win in marriage. A man decided around Valentine's Day this time of year that he was going to really show his woman that he loved her. He's going to come home. His wife, they have several kids, and she's staying home mom. And so he decided after his grungy job that he's going to come home decent. He stopped at a truck stop on his way home, and he took a shower and shaved. He put on a really nice outfit and some fresh-smelling cologne. Went and got him a bouquet of flowers and thought, man, I'm going to just, I'm going to show my woman how much I love her. He decided instead of going through the garage like he normally did, He's going to go to the front door. He knocked on the door. 
waited for her to come. She looked frazzled, opened the door, and she said, oh, great. What else? She said, Billy had to go to the, I had to take him to the hospital today and get stitches in his leg because he fell and wasn't doing something he wasn't supposed to. Then your mom called and said she's coming for two weeks. Then the washing machine broke, and now this, you come home drunk. You know, there was a lady speaking at a women's club lecturing on marriage. And she asked the audience, she said, how many of you ladies want to mother your husband? Lady in the very back row raised her hand. She just kind of looked puzzled. She said, you want to mother your husband? She said, mother? I thought you said smother. (laughs) Well, I'm here to tell you that your marriage doesn't have to be like some of those, right? Like Lady Astor telling Winston Churchill, one of my favorite, he was very quick-witted, very sharp. She said, Winston, if I was your wife, I'd put poison in your whiskey. Without blinking an eye and without any hesitation, he said, and if I was your husband, I'd drink it. (laughs) I'm here to tell you, you don't have to have a marriage like that. Someone say a good amen. You can be one in harmony. You can be one in love and fun and passion and romance and compatibility. So how do you win in marriage? Well, you win by being one. And that leads me to point number one, and that is this. Marriage brings the power of one. Everybody say the power of one. Hold your finger up. Say the power of one. If you're married and you're sitting with your spouse, put it right there by their eyes. where between their noses. Say the power of one. Yeah, don't pick their nose. Just put it right there by the nose. Amen. Agape versus phileo. There's two Greek words, really predominant Greek words in the New Testament for love. One is phileo, which means a a covenant or a or a, a convenient friendship. It means that you know we're friends, and when it's convenient, we're buddies. But agape is covenant faithfulness. When a Christian, listen, understands agape love. They will never get a divorce. When two Christian people, I didn't say when two people go to church. I said when two Christian people have the agape love of God down in their hearts, they will never get a divorce. It won't allow them. Agape love can fix any marital problem 100% of the time. I'm going to say that again because we went from laughing to saying, well, I don't know about all this. Agape love can fix any marital problem 100% of the time. Can I get a good amen? amen. Romans 5.5 5 says it this way. And hope does not disappoint because the love, the agape love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the agape love of God has been poured into us for relationships. Listen. We look at that and we think other people, but did you know it works for your spouse as well? God poured out the agape love of God in your heart towards your spouse as well. Now, I know many of you are thinking murder, but I promise you, if you will just surrender to God and fill your life with his love, he will change your marriage and turn it right side up. Somebody say a good amen. How many can testify that he's done that? I know he's done that with me and Holly from our early years. If you don't walk in love, God can't answer your prayers. 
Kenneth Hagin told this story one time to uh, Larry Stockstill, who repeated it to us. He said he was going down the road. This was many years ago. Him and four other pastors, there were five, and they were going to some pastor's convention, and they got to talking about being married. And three of the five pastors, they said, oh, I rule over my wife. I domineer her. She does what I say. I rule with an iron fist. Kenneth Hagin said, well, not me. He said, I, we submit to one another, and we pray about things, and I honor her, and I respect her. And the other pastor, the fifth one, he said, yeah, I do the same way. Well, the other three mocked him and made fun of him all the way there. Well, they went their separate ways. And Kenneth Hagin, years later, thought, I wonder what became of those three pastors. And what he found out was astonishing. The three pastors that domineered and wanted to rule with an iron fist their wives were all dead. One died at the age of 52. Two of them died at the age of 48. Meanwhile, Kenneth Hagin, who showed very much respect and honor to his wife and did things the right way, him and that other pastor were way in their 80s before they passed away. I'm telling you, God says, men, for us to respect and honor our wives as the weaker vessel. Can I get a good amen? Agape is quick to repent. Agape is quick to forgive. Agape is quick to believe. It is covenant faithfulness, while phileo is convenient friendship. Let me show you the difference, John 21 and 15. Now, in parentheses, I have added that, so, uh, but that's what the word means. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love, do you agape me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love phileo you. Remember, agape is covenant faithfulness, and phileo is convenient friendship. He said to him, feed my lambs. You know, many spouses are like Simon Peter. They are loving their spouses with convenient friendship. As long as it suits me and you do what I want and you don't cause me too much trouble, we'll stay together. But the minute that you get off track or you get me uncomfortable or I got to go out of my way to serve you, then I'm filing for divorce for irreconcilable differences. I want to tell you, when you get married and you are a Christian, you are supposed to stay married and live one for the other, live for God, and live in agape love. Somebody say amen. Why? Because marriage is not a contract. That's a business deal. It is not even really a, 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 a commitment because a commitment's only as good as the committer's willing to make it. Marriage is a covenant. It is a covenant by God till death do us part. Somebody say amen. And it is governed by the rules of agape love, not phileo. Look what Malachi 2.14 says. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Watch this. Though she is your companion and your wife by what? Covenant. Not by a commitment. By a covenant. The rules of agape are found right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It's not insecure. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not demanding. It's not easily irritated. It does not keep score. It's not happy when others fail. It never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures every circumstance. Somebody shout amen. 
Here's the deal. You and I look at this list and, they, and you say, if you're like me, it's, well, I don't know that I can live up to that list. Well, I got news for you. God says he will pour that kind of love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. So that you're so filled with these things of kindness and not arrogance and rudeness and all this. That the only thing that comes out is the agape love of God. Somebody say amen. All we got to do is receive it by faith. There was a couple that was going for a divorce. They said, we're going to get a divorce. And the wife said, let's go talk to the minister. We'll give it one more shot. They sat down to the minister. They shared all their grievances. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these verses, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 7, and I want you to write them down on 3 by 5 index cards. And every night when you go to bed, I want you to read them to one another for 30 days, then come back and see me. He came back 30 days later, and they were madly in love, and their marriage was miraculously healed just from reading the scriptures. There's power in what God can do. Phileo is a close imitation of agape. However, it is based on convenience and conditions. It is, I'll help you if you help me. As long as you are operating in phileo, convenient Love is never going to work. If there is a divorce with two Christians happening, then agape is simply not in operation. If agape is an operation, you as a Christian will not wind up divorced. Now, I'm not saying that somebody did something heinous and there's divorce and all that. I'm talking about this, this nonsense you see with people. Well, we just can't get along, so we're going to end up divorced. Well, I got news for you. Get down to an altar and figure out how to get along. Somebody say amen. Is it okay to preach like this? I like the one guy, he called his pastor after a month being married. He said, I married the wrong woman. The pastor paused for a minute. He said, bro, he said, the minute you said I do and you went home and consecrated the, the marriage, he said, you married the right one. Figure it out. Go home, pray, consummated, not consecrated, consummated the marriage. Listen, what my point is is this. When you're married under the confines of God and you say you're a Christian and you say you're a believer and both parties are, then you've got to figure out how to get the agape love of God in you so you can be kind to one another. So you don't have to be irritated with one another. Somebody, God can do this. How many of you, your marriage is far better now than it was when you first started out? Holly, you raised that hand way too fast. And you ain't even got to wave at me now. Don't you? Keep that hand down. There are parts to agape love. One is sacrifice. Look, when you get married and you're a Christian, you no longer live for yourself. I'm amazed at Christians nowadays. They're getting married and they're taking, they, 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 they're taking separate vacations. They go one, one goes one way and they come home and another one goes another way. They have separate checking accounts. They got separate churches. They got separate everything. You are setting yourself up for divorce. And I'm going to tell you how I believe. Strong, I believe this very strongly. You may disagree, and that's okay. I'm just going to put it out there. They're, they're, I don't know, understand this thing, especially when two people in the church get married. Well, I got my money in my checking account, and I got my money in my checking account. We just do our own thing. Look, that's a disaster waiting to happen. You know what you need to do? The godly, biblical thing to do? Get you one account, sit down, and figure out a budget together. Somebody say amen. 
This good old-fashioned preaching right here now. This is better than the Super Bowl. Amen? This is going to be highly practical today. Uh, another a part of it is sensitivity. I listen to you. How about being quiet and let somebody else talk for a minute? Somebody say amen. amen. Actively listen. Eyeball to eyeball. Engage in the conversation. Put the phone up. Turn the television off. Engage in an active conversation one-on-one. You know that thing people did before there were cell phones? It still works. It's called communication. Somebody say amen. There are key attitudes of agape covenant faithfulness. One attitude is your burden is my burden. Do things together. Go to the store together. Work together. Do projects together. Listen, ladies, let me, let me, let me, let me strike one out for the guys here. Are you ready? Listen, ladies, if your husband is going through something, he doesn't need to be beat down anymore. How about standing beside him and tell him, hey, baby, I'm here with you through thick and thin. I'm telling you right now, I can about go through anything if I know Holly's going to stand beside me. I can deal with it. How many husbands do you agree with that? Man, if you know your wife is going to stand there with you, well, man, we'll go through thick and thin. But if she's going to be by my side, we can do this. There's something to be said about a woman that'll get beside her husband and say, hey, no matter what, I'm here with you, honey. Man, I'm telling you, for a man... That's just like, uh, charge the hill, baby. We're going for this. Another key attitude of agape is I will always be honest with you. Agape cannot tell a lie to your spouse. It violates the very principles of agape love. Another key attitude is I love you for who you are, not what you do. Another one is I give up my right to be right. Why do we always have to be right? I'd rather have peace than be right. I just don't care who's right. Just Let's just get along. Can we sing Kumbaya by the fireplace now? Okay, you're right. I'm wrong. I don't care. <laughs> What's for dinner? Amen. All these things bring you to the power of one. John 17, 21, watch this. That they... May all, that includes marriages, be what? One. Even as you are, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not before, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one in perfect agape covenant faithfulness. They're three persons with one essence. A marriage is the same. Two persons, one essence. It's like a three-legged race. You ever seen a three-legged race? What do they do? They tie your partner up, the inside legs, they tie you up. The outside is free, but the inside, you're tied to someone. So you got to kind of, you know, do this number. Well, here's the deal. In a three-legged race, if, if your outside leg gets out of there, the, the, the whole deal is the central legs, right? Because you're tied together. If you get this outside leg going in different directions, you're going to tumble and fall. How many's ever seen that? I mean, that's what we're all waiting for. We can't wait for the fair to oh, line them up, man. Somebody's going to hit the floor. <laughs> They're going to smash their face. This is going to be a great one because we just know it's going to happen. You know, too many marriages are like that. They're too focused on the outside leg. The outside leg represents your independence. 
who you are as a person. The inside legs is your marriage, is who you are one in Christ. And way too many marriages are focused on the outside leg, and then they tumble and they fall. Hear me, if you can ever get the inside leg right, everything else is going to be okay. You cannot get the inside leg out of sync with your spouse. Keep that going the right way. Eventually, the outside will make it. Is that all right today? Marriage is about becoming one, folks. Ephesians 5.31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become what? One flesh. Malachi 2.15, didn't the Lord make you one with your, didn't he make you one with your wife? It's like Siamese twins. You have two heads, you have two extremities, but you have one heart and they have one bloodstream. What a perfect picture of the value of becoming one in the sight of God with your spouse. You are Siamese twins. Two different extremities, two different heads, but you got one heartbeat, one spirit going after God. That's the way God intended. Somebody say amen. So how do you win in marriage? It builds character. Point number two is this. Marriage is the greatest school of character. How many have you found that out to be so if you've been married more than about two minutes? <laughs> you see, when we get married, we're thinking romance, and God's laughing in heaven thinking reconstruction, baby. <laughs> when you get married, listen, you will probably marry someone unlike you. Why? Because they're the least likely to be fooled by you. God's going to give you somebody that ain't fooled with your shenanigans. You can fool the boss and everybody else. Uh-uh. You ain't fooling your spouse. How many knows what I'm talking about? Marriage is, a, is very quiet in here. Did I show up to the right church? This Presbyterian church is very quiet today. Marriage is the best place to get true feedback in your life. Marriage is the number one place to get back feedback, true, real input and feedback. And we don't like that, do we? We don't like it when the spouse brings up our shortcomings and they're right. We don't like it when they address us and it's critical, but it's right. But listen, your spouse knows you better than any other person on the planet, period. And if you get defensive, listen, you will never change. If I reject Holly's feedback, I am rejecting the feedback of the person who knows me best in the world. How stupid is that? If I get defensive with Holly, I am cutting off the source of the greatest feedback that I have in my life. She does not have a problem telling me like a T.I. is. How many of you husbands have a wife that excels in that same ministry? She has no problem telling you just like it is. Anybody else out there besides me? I don't know right now, if I, if I asked you to raise your hand, I'd give you a $100 bill. Some of you wouldn't raise your hand today. I don't know what's going on. Listen, divorce comes from a defensive, hard heart. Jesus said it, Matthew 19, 8. He said it, and because of your hardness of, your, of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. Hard heart comes from hard head. You have to be flexible. 
pliable, changeable. Husbands and wives, you got to lay your pride down. You can't feel like you have all the answers all the time. Pride will kill growth every time. Usually one of the spouses thinks they're 100% right. But the person who loves us the most is trying to help us. Don't cut off the greatest feedback you have. Someone say amen. If you will let him, God will work through your spouse to change you into a far better person. How many has ever that ever happened to you? Glory to God. Your spouse's feedback means something. No one loves you more than the spouse. And here's the deal. They see what they see. They can't unsee what they see. They're just telling you. Look, you got you a big old fat piece of lettuce in the middle of your teeth. And when you smile to someone, they're going to see it. Get a toothpick and get it out. When they look over to you and say, here, take a stick of gum or a mint, that means your breath is funky. They don't want to smell it. They don't want you to be embarrassed. They're trying to help you. Somebody say amen. One family member told another family member, your breath smells like a sewer. Whew, that's pretty bad. Did you know that many married people are lonely? Some of the loneliest people that I have ever met are actually married people. What are some causes for loneliness in a marriage? Well, one of the spouses becomes enamored with a hobby or a sport or some other kind of mistress, and they just abandon their, their spouses, and they go to work, and they do this hobby and this sport and all this stuff, and now they have no time for their spouse. Another one is technology, that continual distraction. It's the mistress called the phone. Spouses go to dinner. I watch them sometimes when Holly and I go out, and you'll see some of them. They'll go to dinner, and they won't say a word all the whole meal because they're scrolling on Facebook and social media the whole time. They won't even look at each other. How many ever seen that? Have you seen that? They won't even look at each other, let alone say a word. Get the phones under control, folks. Put your phone in a drawer when you get home. Spend time with your family. Forbid the access to it. Turn it off. We have family night. When we get our kids together, I'll go around with a paper satchel. I'll say, okay, all phones. And then I realize, well, they're trying to outsmart me. I go, okay, all smart watches. I want them all. I want them all, every bit of them. We'll put them away the next two or three hours. Is a no phone zone, no nothing, just, just us conversing, having fun, which usually amounts to my kids making fun of me the whole time. I just laugh and eat and think, well, they're sitting at my table. Praise God. Here's the latest statistics. Look at this. We touch our cell phone screens 2,617 times per day. And this is the latest stat that I could find or that I could be found anywhere. And this is pre-pandemic. And they say it's exponentially higher today. Let me tell you what that means. There's only 1,440 minutes in a day. The average person is touching their phone almost twice the amount of minutes in an entire day. No wonder we're not conversing. No wonder marriages are just uh, two, two ships passing in a harbor and no conversation. No intimacy whatsoever. The average screen time for an American is now seven hours a day on their mobile phone alone. Levi Lesko said this, 
Studies have shown that even the presence of an iPhone on the table, even one you are not touching actively, diminishes the emotional quotient of the conversation, the meal, or the moment. They call it the iPhone effect. Because even if you aren't on it, everyone at the table knows it could ring at any moment. And it's present. So a better way would be to put it down below or even into a purse or a pocket, the iPhone effect. Again, we try to, we just put them, I try to collect them. We, the last couple family nights I've missed out on that, but I'm the next one. I'm old, not going to miss it. Phones are going away. We're going to have some time together. Somebody say, man, it's okay to do that. You can call them back next time. Did you know they're now scientists and, and psychologists saying, we now have, watch this, a vibration phantom sensation. What it means is you think your phone is going off and you check it and it's not. We're so used to that with our phones now, it's called a phantom sensation. Seriously. There's also apathy, no personal growth. People are lonely because they're not growing. Look, if you're reading new books and new articles, it broadens your perspective. It gives you conversation pieces. Holly and I do that. She said, oh, wow. Oh, look at this. Dallas, look what he said right here. And we talk about it a minute. Or I'm going to go, oh, look what I just read. It, it, it creates conversation. It broadens your perspective. Also, space. I don't understand these marriages that say, I got to have continual personal time all the time. Listen, togetherness and companionship is what marriage is about. Being alone and having all the space you want, that is a single person mentality. When you got married, you got rid of that. Am I saying you never have space? Yes, you have space. But if you want to have space all the time and never any with your spouse, something's wrong. Is it okay to keep preaching like this? Does anybody want to hear what the cures are for this? Teamwork, synergy, energy. Find something you can do together. Balance. Coordinate your schedules. Tell about your upcoming schedules. Schedule time together. Figure out what you have time to do. Holly and I schedule our time in. It's okay. Hobbies. Have some common diversions. Learn to play together. Do some sports and activities together. Eat out together. Do movies together. Common diversions together that cause your, you to be married but not be lonely. Holly and I have found that in the spring, summer, and fall, we like to ride our bikes. We'll go out seven miles, sometimes nine miles on the bike trail, come back. We'll do 14, 18-mile rides. And the whole time we're riding, it's always over an hour ride uh, out there and back. And the whole time we're up, we're just talking. Sometimes we're dreaming about church. Sometimes we're talking about the kids. Sometimes we're talking about each other. Sometimes we're sharing goals. We're on that bike. There's no phone. There's no nothing. It's just her and I. We're riding and we're talking. Then we found out that we both like to snow ski a lot. So once a week, we got passes right over here near Perfect North. So in the wintertime, we go once a week and we ski. And we talk on the ski lift. And we ski down and we have a great time. We have learned things that we like to do together. Find something you enjoy doing together and have fun talking and conversing and spending that time. Is this okay? We like to do walks and talk together. So how do you win in marriage? Finally, follow the top principles. There are th the top principles in long-term marriages. Here we go. Number one, never doubt God's sovereignty in putting you together. Eleazar sent, went to find Isaac a wife and he said, well, God, here's how I'm going to know. Now, this is a real spiritual way to do this. The woman who says she's going to give my camel some water, that'll be the one. 
That's a real spiritual way to do things, isn't it? Guess what? She was the one. In a GPS, if you miss a turn, what does it do? What's the word it says? Recalculate, right? Well, you may not have the straightest path. You may not have the fastest path. You may not have the best way. But if you get off route, that GPS is going to recalculate you and send you back to the regular destination. If perchance, listen to me, if perchance you really did marry the wrong person, God can recalculate your marriage and get you going right back toward heaven where you were going. Can somebody say a good amen? That's good preaching right there. Number two, what's another principle in long-term marriages? Sex. Sex is the mirror of your relationship. Let me say that again. Sex is the mirror of your relationship. And if you never have sex or you never want to have sex with your spouse, something's wrong with your marriage. And you need to get it under the blood and get it fixed. Because we're physical beings and God created us to be physical. Did you know that God created sex before there was sin in the world? Let me say it again. God created sex before there was sin in the world. And I know some of you are looking at me now with your eyes like this. And you're like, I can't believe he's preaching it in a church. Well, the world's going to tell everybody what they think. I think it's time the church started telling everybody what the real deal is. When you are married, it's a beautiful thing, and you ought to have it and have lots of it. And yes, I said it. Somebody say amen. amen. Number three, another priority in long-term marriages is this. The best financial security is three months of savings. It's living off the top. So when your car blows up and has a problem and it's a $1,500 bill, you're pulling that money off the top of the barrel, and you're just replenishing it. Listen, that's a whole lot better than at the bottom of the barrel trying to figure out where you get into car repair money. How many know what I'm talking about? It's a three-month emergency fund. You want to avoid the GOK fund. Y'all know what the GOK fund is? Holly and I lived off it for years when we first got married. It's an acronym, GOK, God only knows. (laughs) I had expenses, I had money, and there was always a gap. And I said, God only knows. It'll come some way or another, and it always did. But I'm going to tell you, God will help you get ahead of that game. Number four, another practice for long-term healthy marriages. Develop a routine and stick with it. It's much more important to women than men. Routine is the predictability of what's going to happen every single day. There are some things that your spouse, spouse looks forward to every day. For every couple, it's different. Maybe it's drinking coffee together. Maybe it's taking a walk together. Whatever it is that you do, your spouse looks forward to that every day. And that's what, why, listen, routines tell your wife and your husband all is well in the marriage and at home. It's all good. Number five, have a weekly date night. Go out and do something together. Number six, truth is the foundation of all relationships. Never tell a lie, not a white lie, not an omission. A marriage is based on total truthfulness. And finally, this is the most important one, honor. A husband needs respect and a wife needs a covering. Let me say that again. A husband needs respect and a wife needs a covering. Wives, listen to me for a second. I'm almost done. Husbands long for respect. And when he interprets disrespect, you know what he interprets it as? You're losing love toward him. Wives make appeals, not snide, sarcastic remarks. 
Don't belittle your husband and talk down to him. Come on, guys, help me out here. Look, your husband may get beat down at work by his buddies, co-workers. He's getting made fun of. He's getting ostracized. The boss is being a jerk. Everything's going wrong. The last thing your husband wants to do is come home, and you've got snide, sarcastic, belittling comments that are tearing him down. The one place he needs to go home and feel like, you know, hey, I've got a little respect is my home. Is this okay? Y'all like this all right? Husbands, let me help you wives. Your wives need a covering. They need security. They need long-term financial security. They need companionship. They need to feel protected. Wives, when they married you husbands, they thought you were going to protect them and provide for them, not smother them. Smothering them is demanding and, and domineering them. Providing and covering them is for protecting and providing them. It's like a police officer. A police officer covers you. He doesn't smother you. He doesn't knock on your door, come in and fix himself a sandwich, sit down and watch TV for an hour, and demand you get out of his way. And then when he's done, he leaves the house. No. But if a robber shows up, you call, and he comes out to help you. That's called covering. Someone say amen. I want to tell you something. If Holly ever feels uncomfortable in a situation... And she's uncomfortable with someone or some situation. I'm going to go and I'm going to stand between her and whatever that is going on. And I'm going to let somebody know, God forbid, it's somebody, some man wagging a finger in her face. Because I'm going to let him know. I'm going to ask you, you got a problem? Because you're about to have one. <laughs> my point is this. She is there. I, that's my duty. The first time we were ever walking in the downtown area, I saw some things. I was raised on the streets. I know what street life is like. And I saw some things. I'm always scanning ahead with one of my family. I'm always watching. Where's the trouble at? What's going on? I know I can't help it. That's just the way I am. And I'm walking along. And the first time I saw some riffraff, I took her and I moved her to this side of me. And I put myself between her. She, and classic Holly face, what? what are you doing? Just be quiet. I'll tell you later. <laughs> Why did you move me like that? You know. So now she's drawing more attention to us. And I'm like, shh, shh, we'll deal with it later. We'll deal with it later. Now she knows when we're walking somewhere, if we're out of town or downtown Cincinnati or whatever, if I look ahead and I think riffraff's ahead or I think somebody might cause trouble ahead, if I grab her and I just gently pull her behind me on this side, she knows immediately what's going on. She draws no attention and she knows I'm putting her on the opposite side of whoever it is because he ain't getting near my wife. Somebody say Amen. Husbands, when you married her, you signed your death certificate. <laughs> At least that's what God thinks. Because God said in Ephesians, husband, you are to love your wives as Christ loveth the church. How did he love us? See, when you said I do, you were thinking romance. God said, oh boy, you dying. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 I know. You had to have her. I'm glad you did because you're a dead man now. I've done a lot of marriage counseling. I've seen God heal a lot of marriages. I've seen God heal some marriages of stuff that you would think there's no way. 
And somehow God did it, and now they're doing marriage ministry. And every time we sit down, I always ask the same question. And I'll usually start with the wife. They're at odds. Their backs are kind of turned. They're usually their legs are too. They don't, they don't, they're mad. They're in there, but they don't want to be there. And they don't have nothing nice to say. And I'll usually look to the wife and I'll say, let me ask you something. If your husband was to die for you, if he was willing to start laying his life down for you, do you have any problem submitting to him? Immediately, 100% of the time, every single wife I've ever had in there goes, no, I don't have no problem at all. If you start dying for me, I say, okay. Sir, if your wife is constantly submitting to you, do you have any problem dying for her? No, I don't have any problem with that. I said, so before we go any further in marriage counseling, you're the problem. And I look to the husband and I say, you're not dying. And to the wife, you're not submitting. And when y'all want to get biblical, God will heal your marriage. He said, all right, the priest like that. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for every marriage couple, if you're in here with your spouse, I'd like for you to stand. I want to bless your marriage. I want you to stand. And I want you to face each other. 